Good morning and happy Wednesday, everybody. How'd you guys sleep last night? Best sleep of your lives? Yeah? Yes? Got some glares there. Yikes. Um, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes Tuesday night sleep, you just fall over because of exhaustion, because you're just, you're just totally toasted from the first two days. Um, but uh, sorry if that was not your experience and that was just a sore question for you this morning. Um, but uh, you guys, we're going to be back in First John this morning, so why don't you turn over there with me, have trouble finding it, look for Hebrews, then James, First and Second Peter, and then you're to First John. Man, I'm so thankful for that song. I, I hope you guys know that when anybody gets up and speaks to you, the Lord may have grown us maybe in a bit more maturity as we're out in front of you guys, but I want you to know that we who are teaching this need these truths as much as anybody in this room. And that is a wonderful song to remind us of that God's work, uh, our pride relieves. I... The only value I can bring to you this morning is to open up the word and share with you from the word of God. I, I've, in myself, I've got nothing to say, but God's word speaks to us wherever we are, always relevant. So, if you guys remember the question that we are looking to answer in the mornings, can we read this together? How can we know that we're riding for the brand? All right, we're a little slow this morning. Let's run that back just one more time. One, two, three. How can we know that we're riding for the brand? Excellent work, you guys. How can we know that we're riding for the brand? And the other two questions, the smaller questions helping us answer this question, is they are how should I be living and what should I be believing? If we are riding for the brand, if God has truly saved us, if we are ambassadors for Christ, how does that shape how we live, what we believe? And yesterday, if you guys remember, we were in the first five verses of this incredible letter, 1 John. We talked about what does a true Christian believe about God. We talked about God being eternal in the first two verses. Uh, John building out this, this incredibly vital truth that God is, from before the beginning, Jesus, the God-man, truly God, truly man, really was, really is the eternal God, the creator God who has always existed, and because of that fact, he has eternal life to give his people and to bring them into his family which is what we talked about in verses three and four, that God brings us, he's not just some distant, eternal creator that has nothing to do with his people, the church, but he actually loves his people and brings us in as sons and daughters, which is amazing. And we get to call this holy, perfect, eternal creator God our Father because of what Christ has done. And then that God is light, which means when John uses that word light, He's saying that God is the source of all goodness. He's the source of all truth. Goodness and truth doesn't come from humans. We need it from the creator, God. God is the source. 
And so this morning, guys, I, I would say of our morning sessions, this is going to be probably the most important. I'm so thankful for, uh, for Cody. Have you guys enjoyed Cody Huber in the evenings, Pastor Cody? Yeah. Did, has done such an incredible job preaching to us out of Romans 8. But we're just going to get to build off of things that he has been preaching to us from that chapter of Scripture. And this morning, we get to talk about the question as we look at 1 John 1, 6 through 2, 2, what does a true Christian believe about the gospel? Uh, guys, we're never going to have our beliefs, our theology, our doctrine 100% accurate. But if we have the gospel wrong, we are not writing for the brand. We, are, we have not been bought by Christ, God has not, by his spirit, caused us to place saving faith in Christ. If we have the gospel wrong, and that's why I would say this is the most important of our morning sessions, because we're going, what we're going to talk about. And so what does a true Christian believe about the gospel? I want us to look at this first to kind of set the stage. Romans 1, 16 through 17, many of you guys might know this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So if the power to save is in the gospel and we get the gospel wrong, there is no power with whatever we have left. And then I want us to look at this. Look at how this is completely the work of God. The gospel is all of God and none of us, you guys. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, another familiar passage. If you guys have been around church at all, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast or brag that they had anything to do with their salvation. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The only way that we are even able to do good works is that God saves and then he causes us by the power of his spirit to walk in works which he has prepared beforehand. So guys, even after we're saved and we're doing works and we're going to talk this morning about how we should be living in righteousness, doing correct things, obeying God's commands, walking in righteousness, even God gets credit for that because we are his workmanship. He has done the work he gets the glory alone. And then I want us to look at this. This is our passage for this morning. 1 John 1, 6 through 2, 2. Here we go. If we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we could just change that to if anyone, when anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Let me just pray for us real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for the gospel, the power of the gospel, which not only saves us from the power and the penalty of our sin, but actually saves us into the works that you've prepared for us beforehand so that we might glorify you, so that according to what Paul says in Ephesians 3, we would put your wisdom on display for all creation as the church. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us of our sins this morning and would help us to walk in the light. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as we break this down, as you guys are taking notes, we've got our first point here, walking in darkness versus walking in light as we study verses six through seven. Number two, denying sin versus confessing sin, verses 8 through 10, and Jesus Christ, the advocate, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. So let's get into our first point here. Let's look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship or relationship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, if you guys remember, some of what we talked about yesterday was John is, was writing this letter because there's a group of, well, he's writing to this group of churches, and there are false teachers who are teaching false things about God, about Jesus, his life and work on the earth, are teaching a false gospel, what is not true about the true gospel, and they're wanting to claim that they had true faith. They even used a lot of words that Christians are familiar with, but they would fill it with totally different meanings. And so it was really, really sneaky what they were doing. They would claim they had a true connection to and relationship with God, but they also believed that they didn't need the truth directly from God that the apostles taught. Remember we talked about yesterday, 1 John 4, 6, that those who are in the light are those who are writing for the brand or those who listen to the men that God had write scripture. And these, these guys were claiming to be, some of them, false apostles, and they thought it was enough to believe that they were spiritual and not have it affect their actions. So look at this. He's dealing with this, John is. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, and so if, if light, if what John is saying light is, is goodness and truth, what they are walking in is sin, rebellion against God, disobedience to his commands, his standard, and then they're also walking in falsehood. They're believing a wrong gospel. They're believing incorrect things about God and about the truth. So if we say we have fellowship with him, John is saying, while we walk in that, we lie and we do not practice the truth. We lie and do not practice the truth. Look at this from John 16, 13. This is evidence that God has saved us. We're riding for the brand. He's put his spirit in us. 
Because here is some evidence. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And Jesus is talking to his disciples who would kind of walk in a higher level of this that none of us will ever know. Again, some of them will go on to write scripture. We don't get to do that. For he will not speak on his own authority, the spirit won't, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So, if somebody is claiming that they are riding for the brand, that they have been saved by God, but they don't walk in the truth, are, are lying are, and saying that they have the truth, but they don't really have the truth, this is a problem. They don't have the spirit of God. They don't have the spirit of God. Look at this from 1 John 2.26 through 27. John says this later, spoiler alert, on down the line in 1 John, I write these things to you, about those who are trying to deceive you. So again, part of the reason he is writing this is to deal with these guys who are coming in saying they've got the truth, but don't. Verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now that anointing, I don't know if you guys know some of how that word is used in our world. I grew up uh, in a, from a background that really didn't know what that word meant. Um, and the anointing, all that is, is that the Spirit has come into us if we believe in the perfect life, the saving death and the resurrection of Jesus. God places his Spirit inside of us to get us to even want that, and then the Spirit is our teacher. He guides us into the truth, and John is not saying that we don't need anybody to teach us or else I should just sit, sit down. But uh, he's saying, those who are trying to deceive you, you don't need those guys talking to you. You don't need those guys in your ear. You have the Spirit who's directing you to the truth of Scripture. And as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Guys, this is like the person in James 2.17 who says they have faith. But James says, if it does not have works, it is a dead Faith. If we say that we are in the light, we are in fellowship with God, but we're walking in falsehood, we're walking in sin and rebellion against God, and we claim we have faith, what we're claiming is actually a false, dead faith, an untrue faith. I want you guys to think about somebody who they, this week, you guys, who's been to the archery range already this week? Who's gone over there? Yeah, you guys. Imagine one of these people with their hands up was like, I'm going to hit a bullseye every single time. In fact, I'm going to Robin Hood this thing and just split an arrow in two. Legolas. Legolas. Um, and you're like, okay, sweet. Let's, let's, I would love to see that happen. That would be amazing. And then instead of going to the archery range, they start making a beeline for the zip line. And you're like... Okay, you'd be confused. You're like, what zip line? And then as they head down the zip line, they're like, boom, bullseye, told you guys every single time. You're like, I don't think that person knows what archery is, right? What is going on? That is what's happening here. Somebody is claiming to have true faith, but it sh does not show up in their life. Somebody can claim to be an archer. We can say whatever we want. But if you don't know even, even know what archery is, I would challenge you to shoot a bullseye. Maybe you'll have some beginner's luck, maybe. But this is the person who claims they have true faith, but it doesn't affect what they believe. They don't walk in the truth of God's word. 
And then they also walk in sin, in rebellion against God's commands. True faith, you guys, true faith is always proven by belief in the truth and growth in Christ-like action. It's always proven by those two things. Always proven by belief in the truth and a growth in Christ-like action. We see this in Galatians 2, or sorry, 5, 22 and 23, where Paul lays out the fruit of the Spirit, where we should be growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things, just like an orange tree, you're going to see oranges on that tree. You're not going to see bananas, right? I hope you wouldn't look at a banana tree and go, look at those beautiful orange oranges, right? I hope you wouldn't do that. We might need to have a conversation later about what, what fruit is. But uh, we should see in the life of somebody who's claiming to be a believer, the fruit should match. Does that make sense? The fruit should match. 1 John 2, 3, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We're going to dig into that more in detail tomorrow. And then John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, he, this is not a threat. Jesus isn't going, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. He's saying, he's just stating a fact. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. That's going to happen. If you've got the power of the Holy Spirit inside you, you're going to choose truth. You're going to choose righteousness, though not perfectly. James even says, speaking of believers in James chapter 3, that we all stumble in many ways. So we're not going to do this perfectly, but this should be growing in our lives. Let's look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, a relationship with the people of God, with the family of God, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Guys, if somebody is walking in the light as God is in the light, that is also proof that they are part of the family of God, like we talked about yesterday. You're going to bear that family resemblance. You know how uh, people always tell me I look like my dad? Well, it's because my dad is my dad, Right? So if we are children of God, we are going to be growing in that family resemblance. It's proof that we're part of the family of God, and it's proof that the blood of Jesus really has cleansed them from their sins. So this should lead us to a couple questions, and, and Cody did such an incredible job talking about how we are in our sin, we are born into sin, we're dead in our sins. I'm going to lay this out in more detail in our next point, but this should lead us to, to a couple questions and key parts of the gospel. Why do we have to be cleansed from our sins and how are we cleansed from our sins? Why do we have to be cleansed from our sins? What, what makes sin a big deal? What is sin and how are we cleansed from our sin? Well, let's get into the why. Romans 6.23, and Cody mentioned this last night, the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you get for work that you do. And so the, the wage, the payment that we get for breaking God's law, which is sin, is death. We cut ourselves off. We've talked about how God is the source of life. We cut ourselves off from the source of life, and then also we sin. We talked about how God is eternal, 
and we sin, we break laws, and we are guilty criminals having broken the law of an eternal creator, God. And so we earn eternal death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the why, why do we have to be cleansed from our sins? Oh, skip something. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Anyone who doesn't have their sins cleansed can't have relationship with the holy God, can't come into his kingdom. And without perfect purity and righteousness, it's impossible. We have to be holy and perfect as God is holy and perfect. He can have no part with sin. And so if we are separated in our sin, we have to have that cleansed or we can have no part with God. We can have no relationship with God. Otherwise, we're just guilty criminals who are deserving death, the death penalty for having broken God's law. And then... In Colossians 1, 13 through 14, Paul explains how God actually delivers us and transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness through the redeeming work of Christ. We have to be brought from darkness into the light. So why? Because we're just dead in our sins. We need to be cleansed. And then how? How does this happen? Cody already mentioned this as well, and it's the verse after our theme verse for this week. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, God, made him Jesus, God the Father made him Jesus, Christ the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If anybody ever tells you that the perfect life of Jesus doesn't matter to the gospel, if somebody ever tells you that the virgin birth doesn't matter so that Jesus is born just of the Spirit instead of sinful man, don't listen to that person. This is so vital. Jesus has to know no sin. He has to obey God's laws perfectly or else, guys, does he have perfection to give us? Wow, it's, it's, it's Wednesday morning, I get it. Does he have perfection to give us if he hasn't lived perfectly? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Jesus has to live perfectly, has to obey God's law perfectly so that he can know no sin and then he can take the death penalty in our place. He can give us his, perfect, he can give us his perfection. He can give us his perfect righteousness so that we can be right with a holy, perfectly righteous God and then he takes the death penalty in our place. This is the how. To kind of give you guys a picture, I want you to picture, and we're going to use this picture of a courtroom. Picture a courtroom where God the Father is the judge. And in a normal courtroom, if somebody is on trial, let's say you're on trial, you robbed a bank at gunpoint. This happened. There's video footage. You tried to lie about it, but it's like, the lawyer goes, well, clearly in this video footage, it's definitely Matt, right? There he is. He's robbing the bank. We got him. That's how we are in the courtroom as God is our judge. We're guilty. The footage is there. The evidence is there. And let's say the person who robs a bank at gunpoint, the judge looks at him and goes, 
ah, it's not a big deal. You, you can get on out of here. Don't even worry about it. Is that, would we call that a good judge, you guys? No, that is not a good judge. That's a terrible judge. Ah, get on out of here, you crazy kook. You know, ah, Robin Banks. That is a bad judge. God is not a bad judge. If a crime has been committed, it's got to be punished. A, a just, a good judge is going to look at that person and say, I'm sorry, the evidence is against you, and we have to have you pay the penalty for your crime. God is a just judge, and so he can't just say, ah, you've broken my law more times than you could possibly count. Don't even worry about it. Come on into eternal happiness, peace with me. Don't even worry about it. It's a bad judge. God is a perfect judge. The penalty for our sin, the penalty for our crime has to be paid and Jesus Christ, the righteous, pays it on our behalf and takes our sin on himself and trades his righteousness over to us. God's justice is satisfied. He is a just judge, but then also extends mercy to us and grace to us because what, of what Jesus has done. That's the how. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, how are we able to walk in the light God has to do this work in us. We have to have our sins cleansed, and then if we're walking in the light, this actually proves that God really has cleansed our sins. So how do we apply this this morning? Do I say, do we say that we have relationship with God, but believe and live like the world? Do our lives look more like the world while we're saying that we have relationship with God? Does my life look like what a Christian should look like according to the word of God? And again, we're not going to do this perfectly. I don't want to put a burden on anybody. We, the only reason we can do this is because of God's work, is because the spirit gives us the strength to do this. But do I say I have a relationship with God, but I believe and live like the world? And then number two, do I believe that I need to be cleansed from my sins? Or are you here this week and you're thinking, just like Cody said last night, that really my sin before a holy God is not that big of a deal. I think I'm pretty good. I think goodness can come from me like the false teachers who are being, um, who, who are messing up these churches that John is writing to. Is sin a big deal to you? Is breaking God's commands, doing something that this says not to do? Or not doing something that this says to do. Is that a big deal? Do you see it as a crime against the creator of the universe? If we don't, if we don't, we need to have our sins cleansed. We need to believe in Christ by faith. Let's get into point number two. Denying sin versus confessing sin. If we say we have no sin, this person says they have relationship with God. This is the same person, but they walk in darkness we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Guys, if we say we have no sin, it's actually the other way around. We are full of sin and we say we have the truth, but it's actually the other way around. We have no truth in us because scripture says that we do have sin. God says we do have sin and so we have deceived ourselves. In Jeremiah 17, 9 God says through the prophet Jeremiah that there is nothing more deceitful than the human heart. It is deceitfully wicked, desperately sick. Who can know it? The answer there is nobody 
but God. We deceive ourselves if we say we have no sin. Because here's what Scripture says, guys, about sin. So first off, every human inherits a sin nature from Adam. We see in Psalm 51.5 that David says that he is conceived in iniquity. He's conceived in sin even from before he was born. As he is conceived in his mom's womb, it's in sin. And then Romans 5.12 says we get, everybody gets sin from the sin of Adam in the garden. Second, every, every human sins, just the plain fact. Romans 3.23, you guys might know this one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody does it. Not one of us, not one of us in this room gets out of this. Every human is also a slave to sin. So it gets worse. Not only does every human sin, but we sin because we are slaves to sin. And a, a slave can't do anything except what his master tells him to do. And so we are slaves to sin. But it actually gets worse than that. Because also, every human is dead in their sin. Ephesians 2.1 and Colossians 2.13, Paul says that every single human is dead in their sin. What can a dead person do, you guys? Nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing. Every human is dead in their sin. Cannot choose goodness, cannot choose truth, cannot do anything. Needs the work of God to bring them new life. And then here's the result. And this is straight out of what Cody taught us last night, is in Romans 8, 6 through 8, we learn that every human sees God as their enemy, doesn't want to obey his law, and can't obey his law. Without the work of God, we cannot do the will of God, we cannot submit ourselves to the will of God, we can't want the will of God. Totally helpless, dead and slaves to sin. This is why John is going to up the seriousness in verse 10 later when he says, not only do we deceive ourselves, but if we say his word is in us and we're walking in darkness, we are calling God a liar. This is serious. God says that we have sin. If we say we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves and we call God a liar. This is like the guy in James 1, 23 and 24 who looks at himself in the mirror, sees that his hair is jacked up, there's spinach in his teeth, and then walks away and is like, wow, that was weird. Glad nothing's wrong with my face. That would be terrible. If we look into the perfect word of God and we see ourselves, the, guys, what the word says about us is ugly. But if we don't accept that truth, we deceive ourselves, and we're calling God a liar. It's serious. We have broken his law. But then, verse 9, if we confess our sins, that means to acknowledge or speak out. I recognize that I have sinned. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is such a beautiful truth in the face of, that's the bad, we just talked about the bad news of the gospel, is that we are totally helpless in our sins. But the good news is that if God does his work in us, we can recognize our sin. We can confess it. And we see this work of the Spirit in John 16, 8. Jesus teaches, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
It's the work of the Holy Spirit to get us to recognize that we have sin or else we can't recognize that we have sin. And if we can't recognize that we have sin, we definitely can't confess that we have sin. We definitely can't repent, which means to walk away from the sin that we've been in. 1 Corinthians 2.14. So that has to do with action, but... 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly or foolishness to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this has to do with the truth of God. We can't understand the truth of God without the Spirit of God. And so what do we need? What do we need? John 3, in this conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus, John 3, he says... Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We were born so jacked up in our sin, so dead and so enslaved to our sin that we actually, we need a new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 5, Jesus answers and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Our first birth is into sin And we've got to have this miracle take place. Guys, if we are born dead in our sin, this is literally God performing a resurrection in our souls. The greatest miracle that he can do for us is to give us new life because we can do nothing to give it to ourselves. So quickly, we want miracles of healing and miracles of these amazing signs. And we are not content with the most amazing miracle God can do for us which is to give us new life, to give us a new birth. And so what's beautiful about 1 John 1.9 is that if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge by the power of the Spirit that we are in sin, that God is faithful and just. He is just because Christ has paid the penalty to forgive us our sins. And so the first time, I love, uh, there's a preacher, author that I love to listen to named Stephen Lawson, who gives us this idea that the first time that once, once God does this work of, of rebirth in us, causing us to see our sin, confess our sin, repent of our sin for, for the first time, to put trust and faith in the finished work of Christ, God forgives us on the basis of Christ's work as judge. But then, as God has saved us and we go back, because confession is not a one-time thing, As we go back, we go back and we confess our sin to God, our Father, who is faithful and just to forgive us ongoing. So we no longer approach God as judge, but we approach him as our Father. And as you guys have parents and disobey them, and you go to them and you say, I'm sorry, hopefully you're doing that, God, the loving Father, says, I forgive you after he has saved us. This is not a one-time thing, but we can go in confidence knowing that our Father, if we confess our sin, will forgive us, will love us, and he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the seriousness of this. And so how, how do we apply this? We need to ask the question, am I denying the fact that I am a sinner? Am I denying the fact that I'm a sinner? Am I deceiving myself and calling God 
a liar. Believers, those in this room who God has saved already, you have put faith and trust in Jesus. Guys, here's my encouragement to you. Walk in confession and ask God for a sensitivity to your sin. Walk in confession and ask God for a sensitivity to your sin so that we wouldn't have a callousness to it. And then unbelievers in this room, Guys, if you have not placed your faith and trust in God, if God has not yet given you this new birth and you know this, please ask God for the new birth. Ask God for, by his spirit to give you new life. God sent Jesus to save sinners, to save his people. Ask for this work. And then number three, Jesus Christ, the advocate. John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, which we will sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is the picture of the courtroom again. God the Father is the judge, and this time also Satan, who John says in Revelation 12 is the accuser. And so he's like the opposite lawyer going, look at all the sins they've committed. And what does it mean for Jesus to be the advocate? Jesus says, I know what they have done. I know all the sins that they've committed. I have lived perfectly in their place, and I have declared them righteous. I have declared them righteous. I have given them my righteousness instead. And so we have this incredible, perfect advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then Cody mentioned to us about the propitiation, this massive word, right? Propitiation, what does this mean? That Jesus has fully satisfied the penalty for our sins. Jesus has fully satisfied the penalty. God's justice is completely satisfied by Christ's perfect life and his death on the cross. And then in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Because of Christ's work, the law holds no more demand over us. There's no more penalty hanging over our head because Christ fully canceled it out. He paid the unpayable debt in our place. Do we believe that by faith? Do we put our trust in him by faith? We have to believe this if we are to ride for the brand. We have to believe by faith. Put trust in faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So believers, I've got another point of application for you. John says here in the first verse, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. It is possible, since we have been filled with the Spirit, for us to fight temptation and win. That should get us so excited. We don't have to give in to sin anymore. You can fight the temptation to sin. James says that we resist the evil one and he will, what? Flee. By the power of the Spirit, we can choose to walk in righteousness. 
the beautiful thing is, is that when we do sin, because we won't live perfectly, there was only one guy who lived perfectly, and he gives us his perfection, that we have this advocate, Christ Jesus. So believers, fight the temptation to sin by the power of the Spirit. You have the power of the Spirit. You don't have to give in to the things that tempt you. Then two, do I believe that Christ's work is the only work that can pay for my sins? Or do I think that I can do it on my own? Do I think that I can just work up enough? I can, I can perfectly obey God. I can do this on my own strength. Guys, you're sitting in, in chairs right now, right? Maybe a weird question. But you came in and you put trust in the fact that that chair, instead of exploding, was going to keep you held up, right? That's how you expressed your trust in the chair. The way that we express trust in the finished work of Christ is we believe that his work is the only thing that can pay for our sins. And in Romans 10, 9, that if we believe with our mouths and confess, or believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Christ was raised from the dead, having completed the work on the cross for us, that our sins are paid for. And we have to put our faith and trust in that by the power of the Spirit to be made right with a perfectly holy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the power of the gospel, that it is the only power that can save us, as Paul says in Romans 1.16. Lord, we have to believe by faith, by the power of your spirit, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can do to be saved on our own. We are dead slaves to our sin without your work. God, for those of us who are our believers, who are writing for the brand in this room, I pray that you would help us to grow in our fight against sin. Help us to grow in strength by the power of your spirit against sin. And for those of us who have not yet been saved by you, God, please, even now, by the power of your spirit, convict of sin. Convict them of their unbelief and cause them to place saving faith in you, even now. Lord, you are wonderful. You are so gracious to us. You are so kind. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.